Brendan, thank you so much for having me on the show today. My name is Beth Mayorga, and I am from the wild, arid desert of the American Southwest in North America. And I have been involved in the fan fiction scene for the last 26 years, and it is my passion. 26 years? 26 years. Yep, yep. Well, you have to understand, though, <laughs> that I got um, I got involved in fan fiction pretty young. I was 14. I don't, rem- I don't know if you remember, but, well, I'm sure that you do, but back in the 90s, right, when the internet was first coming up. Okay. Right? We got a family computer. I was 14, and I convinced my dad that we were going to get the internet because I kept hearing all the kids at school talking about the internet. (laughs) So we finally got the internet, and that's when I um, had all of these experiences going online for the first time and meeting people and discovering things that people were posting on the internet. And that just happens to be where I discovered fan fiction for the first time. I was 14. So, um, you know, I'm significantly older than 14 now, so I can say that I've been involved in the whole fan fiction thing for 26 years. If you're comfortable years. telling us then, what was your fan fiction gateway drug? Was there a particular musician <laughs> or fictional world or book spinoff? What was the thing that like got you like, <clears throat> I want to write in somebody else's world or I want to write using celebrities in some weird way? <laughs> yeah. So um, anybody who had kids in the 90s probably remembers the uh, cable network Nickelodeon. I'm oh, sure yeah. you're okay. familiar with that, right? Yep. Um, and I had always been a huge sci-fi fan. That's just, I was raised on Star Trek. I was raised on Star Wars, all of that stuff. And on the Nickelodeon channel, when I was a teenager, there was this TV show that came out called Space Cases. It was a sci-fi, really campy. When you go back and look at it, you're like, this is so stupid. But it Did was, it have a laugh track? No, it didn't have a laugh track, but, you know, it had spaceships and aliens, and it was very much modeled off of, like, a kid's version of Star Trek, you know? Um, (laughs) But I loved it. I loved it so much. And then they canceled it after two seasons and just left us totally hanging, right? And that's devastating for anybody. But at 14, you're just like, this is the worst day of my entire life. You don't want it to end. And especially when they don't wrap it up and you don't know how the story goes, right? So uh, so I was kind of involved in the online space cases fandom scene. I had my own fan site at one point that I learned how to code with the HTML and stuff. Nice. And uh, I don't know if you remember the the web rings that were really popular back then. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People yeah. hook up and then one website lead you to the next one, lead you to the next mm-hmm. one. Is, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we had one for the space cases fandom and I was part of it with my website. So I was clicking through this web ring one day and that's when I discovered this random website on this web ring that had a piece of fan fiction posted on it. I had never heard of fan fiction before. I did not know what that was. So I click on this thing and I realize, oh my God, this is a piece of original literature that has all of the characters from my favorite Space Cases TV show on Nickelodeon. But this is a story that I've never heard before. This wasn't an episode I've ever seen. What is this? I read the whole thing. And it was the most magical experience (laughs) of my 14-year-old life because this person finished the story for me, you know? 
finished everything. And so I got to sit there feeling like I finally had the closure that I needed, which when you, you know, think back on it, you're like, that's really dumb. But at 14, that meant so much to me. So um, that was kind of my discovery of the whole fan fiction thing. And I just kind of went from there looking for different fan fictions and different TV shows and genres and things okay, like so that. You were and I never stopped. This- this is interesting because you were consuming it first. Some people started off with like, I didn't know this was a thing, but I would write stories about these TV shows, and then I found out this is a thing. You started with the, I found somebody else did this, and then you went and read more stuff. When did you flip the switch where like, I'm going to sit down and write a space game story, <laughs> or I'm going to sit down and write something else? Well, here's what makes me a little bit of an outlier in my community, right? Um, I have never publicly posted a fan fiction before. When I was a teenager, I wrote a lot of um, original fiction. It never occurred to me. You are correct. I interview fan fiction writers all the time. And a lot of them tell me, when I was a kid, I used to, you know, make up my own fan fictions when I was nine in a notebook and I would bring it to school. That never occurred to me. I don't know why, but it didn't. Um, And then I discovered the fan fiction online and was like, this is amazing. I can't believe this exists. But I never really saw myself as a fan fiction writer. So I was just an avid consumer and a participant in the online community for years. This year, 2023, I did give myself a goal to finish my first piece of fan fiction and post it publicly on the website that everybody goes to. So I will be able to say at the end of this year that I am also a fan fiction writer. But I've been mostly just a consumer and uh, and I podcast about it and everything. But uh, but yeah, that kind of makes me a little bit of an outlier in this space. What you did mention, <clears throat> so you were mentioning I would write original fiction myself. Mm-hmm. So I would write yeah. stuff that was not related to existing properties or existing characters. Did you share that too? Or did your whole writing thing was really for you? Oh, it's all for me. They call okay. it writing, writing to the drawers. You know, you just kind of stick it in a drawer. <laughs> And it exists, but it's just for you. I love the process of writing. I'm so passionate about that. Um, I have yet to find something besides podcasting in my life that I enjoy more than writing. Um, But I don't know. It's such a personal thing, right? When you write something creatively and then you put it out there for everybody to see. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why I have such admiration, actually, for fan fiction writers who do that all the time. So the reason people don't put stuff out there is, uh, so obviously, fear of failure, fear of criticism, fear of rejection. So all the fears we have that whatever we put out there, that the people we want to like it won't like it. Nobody will like it. They'll tell us it's terrible. That's why people don't put their art out there. Is that the only thing? Was it just like, I'm afraid all this stuff I've been writing for decades, I never want to share it with anybody and I don't share it publicly because I just, I don't think it's good enough. Or is there anything else holding you back? You know, have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? Oh, yeah. You heard that? Yeah, floating (laughs) around, right? I think I have a huge case of imposter syndrome because as an avid consumer of fan fiction, I mean, we're talking like I probably read at least you know, one piece of fan fiction a day. So like I have read thousands and thousands and thousands at this point. And I am floored constantly by how good these stories are, not just in the plot and in the theme of what the story is about, but in the actual execution of the writing itself. And so I'm looking at all of these amazing writers who have been at it for years and years and years. And 
And then I look at my stuff, right? And I start comparing it, which you're not supposed to do. As an artist, like, I don't care what sort of art you produce. Like, don't do it. It's terrible. Don't compare yourself to others. But that's kind of what I started doing at some point, I think, in my life. So um, for a really long time, I just thought, I'm not good enough. Like, my stuff is just, like, it pales in comparison to these giants out here who are producing these amazing pieces of work. Um, But I've I've started to get over that, right? I'm starting to be like, you know what? It doesn't matter. And and it's okay if my, my stuff is different. It's supposed to be different. It's not supposed to be like everybody else's. It can be mine and I can put it out there anyway. So we're, we're getting there very slowly, Brendan. It, it's happening. <laughs> so from I'm assuming now, many years later, for starting at age 14 with Space Cases, you do not still primarily read fan fiction about that Nickelodeon show. <laughs> so how did the fan fiction, I am curious about what happened from, because I read fiction as a child, but I was yeah. not into, I saw fan fiction, but I went more of the role-playing games route. So if we're going to make stories, yes. let's get together with a group and make stories, right. not write them down. So I did fiction and RPGs, but this thing, uh, so I didn't get into this. So I'm curious about how it evolved with f- how fan fiction matches up to literature and things in the regular stream, how it compares or deviates and how your reading has changed. And that's a big question over the past decades. Yeah, no, that is a huge question. And I am thinking about how to structure this. Um, you know, I think to answer the first part of that question, I do feel like you kind of have to define a little bit what fan fiction even is, right? I mean, some people hear that word and they're like, what the heck is this? Um, You know, and it's so funny because um, even in our insular community of fan fiction people, we have debates all the time. What is fan fiction, right? Really? That it's a yes. compli- it's actually a complicated <laughs> genre title or just a complicated... I'm curious about this. It's complicated enough that you have a lot of debate that still goes on very robustly, I will add. And it, it's... It, I always get such a kick out of it, right? Because people build these interesting, intricate models of, you know, criteria and plug it in and then be like, well, according to my model, this is fan fiction, but this is not and blah, 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 blah. Um, I think that's all very interesting, right? I like to have a very broad (laughs) idea of what fan fiction is for my purposes. So anytime that I talk to somebody who doesn't know what fan fiction is, I try to break it down to its smallest parts. And I just say, quite simply, (laughs) fan fiction is anytime that you take IP that doesn't belong to you and you use it to tell a story. And I love using Star Trek. As the example, because most people know what Star Trek is, right? So fan fiction would be taking the characters Kirk and Spock and writing a story about them. Maybe it's a story about them encountering brand new alien civilizations on some foreign planet somewhere that they've never been to. And maybe Kirk and Spock develop a bit of a relationship on that planet that they didn't ever show in the show. Yes, they fall in love. (laughs) Right. They get married. Um, Or maybe it's just a story about what they had for breakfast on Tuesday. You know? I mean, it could be anything. But when you strip fan fiction down to its smallest parts, that's what it is. It's just taking IP that doesn't belong to you, and you're using it in some capacity to tell a story 
your own story. Okay, I um, love that you use Star Trek as the example because Star Trek, I think, split off in fa- Star Trek is a perfect example of how this yeah. is complicated because some fan fiction was, again, as you said, people sitting at home writing their Kirk and Spock stories for no money and they're just writing these for themselves and other fans of it to share. Yeah. But there's no difference between what that person who is not being paid to write fiction about Kirk and Spock and then all the novelists who got paid to write stories about IP they did not make up and own. They're writing about somebody else's characters. They're writing a new story with these characters they don't own. They just happen to be paid and they're within the machine of like normal merchandising. Do you see a a huge, do people in fanfic argue about it's not fanfic if you get paid for it? This is where the debates come from. Because you do have all of these different aspects to consider, right? And I was talking about these models before, about how people in fan fiction love to build these models with different criteria. And sometimes the commercial aspect is a factor, right? For some people. Some people believe that fan fiction has to be transgressive, to be fan fiction. And so the transgressive aspect would probably be this is not licensed, this is not technically permission, no one's getting paid for it, right? Whereas if you were the novelist who actually did get the contract to do that, you have the rights and permission to do so. Is that fan fiction? There's a lot of debate about that, right? I feel like If I was to answer that question, I would probably err on the side of caution there and say, yeah, I do think it's fan fiction. They didn't come up with the IP themselves. They didn't create Star Trek. They didn't create the characters. They're coming up with their own plots and their own point of views for these characters and their own interpretations. That is the heart of fan fiction, whether you're getting paid for it or not. (laughs) So that's how I would argue it. But a lot of people would hotly debate me on that, I think. Uh, that now I feel like the most famous, now there have been instances in the past 10, 15, 20 years of, of, of uh, poor, lazy, lame fan fiction writers who then the story is so good that it gets snatched up and they re, so this is, they'll reskin the characters or the story is so good that they'll find some way to, this needs to be a screenplay in this IP or not, but the story is so good that they'll either reskin it. And I feel like the biggest, most famous one is, um, what is, I want to say the 50 shades did 50 shades start as fan fiction 50 and then shades somebody, of gray. and they cleaned it. They whipped the IP out and made it its own thing. And so then is it still fan fiction or not? Right, right, exactly. You know, that happens more often than you think it does. Wow, know? okay, yeah. tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying that, you know, we hear things, right, through the grapevine and the community. And I remember when the Fifty Shades of Great thing happened because that did start out as a Twilight fan fiction, a very popular one, I might add. Oh, I like so online, <laughs> wildly popular in the internet fan fiction world, people, people really loved it. People knew. And that's why it was such a big deal because when it it got picked up and made into a movie. People were losing their minds, right? Like, oh my God. Um, but this has happened, though, is the thing. I remember back in the early 2000s, one of the fandoms that I enjoy reading in is Supernatural. Supernatural has been around 15 seasons, a long time. Yeah. So I had been reading Supernatural fan fiction since the early 2000s. And I remember when a very popular Supernatural fan fiction was suddenly pulled from the internet and And the author was very open about it and said, this got picked up by a publisher. So I'm in the process now of scrubbing 
supernatural out of this story right. <laughs> to make it an original novel, you know? Um, so, yeah, and I think... I feel like the more and more we go along, the more and more that movie studios are desperate for something, you know, I, they're struggling right now. Let's just say that, yeah. um, you know, so they're looking for these alternative avenues and these alternative places to find interesting stories. And they are discovering that sometimes you can find them in our little neck of the woods. Uh, <laughs> so do people in fanfic whose stuff gets picked up um as from a minority, there'll be an angry minority, but is it a large minority that are like, y'all are sellouts? Because <laughs> this is supposed to be pure, and as you said, anarchic, transgressive. We're not supposed to be part of the official IP, and now you're going to go, this was a beautiful, pure, artistic thing, and now you're shoving it into commerce. Ugh. Yeah, you know, I think it would really depend on who you talk to, right? Okay. It would depend on who you talk to. And I also think that it would really depend on the age range of the person that you're talking to, right? Because uh, you can kind of gauge the attitudes of people in our community by the generation that oh. they grew up in. It's very interesting. So when you're talking to the older folks, we call them... Well, I'm going to use the term I use. I use OG for okay. original gangster, you know, because I just have so much respect for the folks in our community that are older and still here and still rocking it. That's so amazing. Um, but they saw a lot of stuff go down in, you know, fandom spaces and things like that. And so they tend to be more cautious about things, right? And uh, it very much was this transgressive attitude when it came to fan fiction. But you are starting to see with the younger generations. I'm an older millennial. I'm like a zennial. So um, our attitudes are a little bit looser, but we still have that fear implanted in us from our elders, right? Of, oh, you know, bad stuff went down and here's why we do the things that we do the way we do them. Um, but then you get into the Gen Z generation. And that's been very interesting to me as I have had more opportunities to talk to fan fiction people in Gen Z. Um, and they sometimes seem to have different attitudes when it comes to these uh, fan fiction type things. So I think that Gen Z of all the generations in our community would be the ones most likely to look at something like that, like you're saying, oh my gosh, a piece of fan fiction got picked up and made into a movie. That's amazing. And these are the folks that think sometimes in the back of their mind about commercializing fan fiction or commercializing fan art or whatever it is because we live in a hustle culture and they grew up in that whereas people my age and older we didn't you know um so the attitudes are are definitely different i think depending on who you're talking to <laughs> so now i don't want to wander too far from fanfic but the fact that you sort of brought up these generational differences is fascinating because i interviewed somebody a few months ago about generations and i he really bracketed them into what he called waves he said they want to say it's year to year but it's just a wave of attitudes yeah. and like early boomers like you get a job you have the job for decades you retire from that job and so the division between the art you have on the outside and the work you do for that company you stay with that company or loyal to that company, but that means they can move you around and ask you to kind of do anything they want. It doesn't have to fulfill you. This is your job and you're loyal to the company. And so there's a real separation between art, the stuff I do because I want to do it, and, and commerce, the job I have and I'm loyal to them. And then as all that got hit with Gen X, Gen X is this generation that obviously took the hit. 
and realize these companies don't have any loyalty to us. They got real nihilistic and like, I'm kind of out on, I'm I'm on my own now. Yeah. And that's kind of as wave through wave in this Gen Z thing where everything you do, every hobby you have, just like you said, this hustle culture, everything is a side gig and it could make you money. So it's kind of diversifying your skill portfolio. But to me, as a Gen Xer, it feels bad to look at that because it feels like there's no proper boundary between the things you want to do and you kind of have this creative calling to do and the things that earn you money. Because once you start making money at something, you are going to have to make creative sacrifices. If you make fanfic and it's free and nobody pays you, you get to write anything you want. But the instant you get that sold and you become part of the commerce and business, you're going to have to make choices that aren't necessarily your authentic choices. Okay, I want to curious what you think about that art commerce thing and how it plays out. Yes, yes. I resonated so much with what you just said. Um, And again, I think that that probably is my generation and how I grew up, right? Because I'm old enough that, um, you know, there is this, what would I, how do I want to put this? There is an old culture in fan fiction that came from our elders and they got it from theirs, right? We're talking, <laughs> this goes back all the way back to like the 60s when modern fan fiction culture was born, right? And um, transgressiveness was very much a part of that. The punk attitude of Gen X was very much a part of that, right? Because in some ways, Fan fiction does buck against commercialized art. We live in a culture of commercialized art, and fan fiction gets to exist outside in the margins where we are not beholden to corporations, agents, producers, guys in suits who want to tell us what to do. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because you are correct that once you commercialize anything, even art, it dilutes that art to some degree because that's just the nature of capitalism, right? So so there has always been this underlying attitude in the fan fiction world that we exist outside of those considerations and we do that on purpose. We don't want to introduce commercialism to this craft because look at what we would lose if we did. Not to mention the legal ramifications you know, that would right. occur if, if that were to happen. And we have a lot of history to point to uh, when we make that argument, too. Um, so so it is very interesting because you're right. Gen Z, you know, and I I can't even blame them so much because we do live in a society where you have to have a side hustle now. Correct. To survive. Like, I am experiencing that in my own life, too. And it's like, oh, my gosh, does that mean I want to commercialize, you know, my passion in fan fiction? Not necessarily. Yeah, I think I can find other ways to do that. But I get the impulse, right, from the younger generations to want to um, do something that they are passionate about. I just feel that that can be done in a way that doesn't dilute what fan fiction is supposed to be in the first place. And now that you very eloquently kind of talked about, hey, this is where it's bad when art and commerce mix. The other thing that happens when, as you present this stuff in public, I feel like also stuff that happens in fanfic is people are getting together in fan fiction and they're, they're, uh, you do some self-editing, but you're putting out stuff that's not totally, I wrote this off the cuff and I worked on it, but now I'm going to present it to the community and the community, sometimes you'll ask for, I feel like feedback 
from other writers. It's just like, you know, whatever fancy pants writers are getting together in some salon in a Manhattan apartment is the same thing that happens online with fan fiction. People are like, I know the characters intimately, you know, the characters intimately. So I can tell you it got slow here. A character wouldn't do this and they can, and they change stuff. So I'm curious then having input isn't negative, like an editor coming or an agent mm-hmm. coming and saying, you need to do this because it'll make more money. That might make the final product better. The agent's idea might be a good idea that'll make the product better. How do fan fiction people think about bettering their stuff when there's no money thing? Where's where's the improvement? How are things good or bad if they're not judging that way? Yeah, and this has been one of the most surprising things that I've learned in my journey through fan fiction as I have talked to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fan fiction writers at this point, right? This has been one of the most surprising things to me, and I think it's tremendous. Um, we have something in fan fiction that we call the gift economy, right? Which harkens back to what we just talked about. This is not done for commercial purposes. So anytime that we are creating anything in a fandom space, whether it's fan art or fan fiction, it's considered a gift to the community, right? Um, But the tremendous thing about the gift economy is it doesn't just stop at the actual fan fiction. It extends to the entire process because what you're describing is community effort, right? To make something and to make it better than it was. And I did not know until I got deeply entrenched in this community, that that was exactly what's happening, right? Um, a lot of people, I think, have this mistaken idea that some of these fan fiction writers are just, you know, keyboard smashing to get something out and then sang it off to the interwebs and that's it. But what's actually happening in most of these cases is you are having this tremendous community effort. These fan fiction writers are talking to each other constantly Exactly like you said, the characters, what do you think should happen in this scene? Do you think this character would behave this way? Do you think this or that? And there is dialogue happening constantly. And then it is also very common in the fanfiction community to have something called a, a beta reader who's someone in your community who volunteers their free time to take your fan fiction, read it all the way through, make edits, make comments, help you through scenes that are a little iffy or something you're not quite sure about. And so I was so surprised, I think, when I realized that this isn't just like a bunch of people keyboard smashing. Like this is a this is a system. This is a community of people who are organizing themselves, getting together and creating these things together, and they're all doing it for free. Okay, now that leads me. That is fascinating. The communal aspect of this because it's sort of single creators going out, but you're like, no, it's a communal effort of adjusting and changing and improving. It reminds me of something that kind of I think has reached its pinnacle and needs to stop. <clears throat> Canons in fictional worlds. Yeah. So the upset. My understanding of community with the obvious example is a wiki. So you've got this Wikipedia thing about a TV show, and people who are obsessed with the TV show go in and like the ancient. Uh, you know, church theologians dig through the religious documents, the TV shows and the screenplays (laughs) and figure out all the facts and they lay them out. Here's the timeline. This is the canon. Fan fiction people are, by the nature of what they're doing, inventing new canon. This stuff did not happen. You are making new stories about the great characters in your tradition that do not exist in canon. How do fan fiction people negotiate canon, what has actually happened versus what you want to happen, what would be cool if it did happen? 
Yeah. Okay. So I want to say something about that before I answer the question, because that's such an interesting, good, good question. Um, But I I wanted to back up just a little bit and talk about... uh, let's see, the different types of people that you're going to encounter in fandom, right? Um, and we can use Star Trek for as, an, as an example, because I love Star Trek. I always go back to that. But you have people, right, in fandom who get really excited about a show. So let's say Star Trek, right? Yes. And you're going to have some people who the way that they interact with that media is they want to collect data and facts, right? They want to know the name of every alien civilization, the names of all the ships. They've memorized the schematics of the ships. They can tell you, you know, the square footage of Captain Kirk's quarters. I mean, it's like insane, crazy stuff, right? But that's the way that they interact with the content and the way that they feel like, wow, I'm such a great fan. Like, I'm such a great Trekkie, you know? And I think there's Um, a beautiful, I don't, obvious, I'm not even going to ask you. You've seen Galaxy Quest, and I yes. just rewatched it a few weeks <laughs> yes. ago. But the characters in there, Justin Long's character and his group, are exactly as you're describing. They're mocked a little bit, like you guys are obsessed with these stupid facts. But then, of course, the whole play of the movie is that they're not stupid facts, as they turn out to be real. They're really important. So that's the thing. Like they're doing this yeah. stuff because something inside tells them this is important somehow, even if other yeah. people don't think so. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not knocking it at all. Like um, that that's definitely a very common way that a lot of people interact with their fandom. Right. Um, But I would say that fan fiction writers tend to approach fandom in a very different way than that. We're not so much interested in collecting those facts as we are taking the content (laughs) and breaking it apart to see what's inside And then putting it back together again in a new way to make something different. We call it transformative fandom or the act of transformative art because we're taking something that already exists, but we are breaking it apart and (laughs) deconstructing it to make something else. And so your question as far as how we deal with canon issues in fan fiction, I would say that it really depends on who you're talking to because even in fan fiction spaces, we still have the folks who canon is sacred, right? You do not deviate from that whatsoever. But I would say that it is more common in the fan fiction world to deviate from canon because what's the point of fan fiction if you can't do whatever you want and oftentimes doing whatever you want necessitates deviating from canon. Um, Although I will say that even in the stories where I find a deviation in canon, you're always going to find elements of canon in there, whether it's in the character, whether it's in some aspect of the story. And so... In most cases, canon's not completely thrown out the window, but I would say that fan fiction writers just don't have that same attachment to those facts. And it's very interesting too. I don't know. Um, I don't know if anyone's done real studies on this. I have heard this antidotally, but they say that um, those two ways of interacting with fandom do. In, as a generalization, tend to fall on gender lines. You know, it's the men who tend to be collectors of the facts. historians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The historians of the canon. You know, my ex-husband was very much like that. We both loved Star Trek. Yeah. He knew the names of all the ships and all of the little detailed minutia. 
I was the one that wanted to explore that content in a different way, right? I wanted to build a relationship with it. I wanted Can I ask to. You, did, <laughs> did the two of you actually create the situation where you would say, "What if what that?" And would you would do people look? Do you ever they look at you blankly and go, uh, "Yeah, but that's not how it is." You can't. Yes, it's already been established yes. that X mm-hmm. race doesn't do that, or exactly. that character didn't do that. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. There were years when I was not very open about my involvement with fan fiction with my spouse. And then one day I decided, you know what, this is crap. Like, I'm just going to tell him. <laughs> so we spent the last, uh, I would say, five years of our relationship open about fan fiction. And he was fascinated by it because it's not something that he was ever involved in. But we did run up against that exact issue that you're describing, where he would say a fact about Star Trek and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I would say, oh, that's interesting. I just read a fan fiction the other day that had, you know, XYZ in it. And it was very difficult. I could see the wheels turning in his brain as I'm describing this. And it was very difficult for him to kind of take that and understand it because the first thing he would say is but that's not the way it is in canon like blah 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 we don't care (laughs) you know like we love canon too and we we accept that it exists but we we just kind of don't care so this is where i've had me and my friend have said as we watched canon grow because we're both nerds and we're into it but the fact that people can't as you said, there's just seem to be personality types that like collecting the information. You can collect the information, but you should also have a meta-level understanding that this is all made up. It's not like you're reading a biography about a real historical figure and you could figure out whether these things happened or did not happen. Yeah. None of these things, nothing you're looking at, nothing you've spent thousands of hours collecting, none of it happened. It's all made up. And therefore... You know, the fan fiction writer should, again, like every fictional writer, definitely feel free. I can do whatever I want. This is not real. So I can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. We tend to find, and again, this is a generalization, but I do tend to find that people who interact with fandom in a curative manner, curating the facts and things like that, for some reason, they seem so attached to that mode of um, uh, information and fact gathering, almost like it's a part of the identity somehow. And when you start attacking that or, <laughs> you know, trying to debate facts with them, it's, sometimes they can take it a little bit, a little bit personally. Um, so we, we tend to have a much more relaxed attitude about that kind of a thing. I do feel like there's a to me, I think it's beautiful, but I do also think it's a bit I think it's a bit of a waste. There's all these men and women who are focused on what is canon in the DCEU? What is canon in the MCU? What is canon in Star Wars? And like I kind of wish sometimes I wish you just the real world is super interesting and if you want to be a historian, I think you should keep like <laughs> you should be a historian of fictional fa- fictional facts too. Sure. There's also a world of fact and you could try to sort through the it would be more useful to sort to take that analytical mind and like apply it to the real world sometimes. Uh, but that's just my own beef. I just wish they because that's once upon a time it was, you know, Civil War artifacts and yeah. stuff like that. So real things to figure out where they came from, how are they used. But these things, where they came from and how are they used? Some fiction writer wrote that in 1978 in a Star Trek manual. It's not real. <laughs> that fiction writer just right. made it up off the top of his or her head. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that's why I feel like what fan fiction writers do is much more utilitarian. In the sense that we're not just collecting useless facts that don't mean anything, right? (laughs) No, you're making the art. 
Well, we're making the art, but there is value in that that I think goes beyond just the fact that the art exists. You know, there is a process happening here that I think is vital to community and tell me about that because i'm curious about because we're talking about like hey for fun it was fun to read this fan fiction and it's fun to write the fan fiction yeah. but tell me like in the world itself why you think fan fiction is not just transformative to the ip great what does it do for people to and for people see and i think that it, this falls under the broader, like a broader conversation about literature just in general, right? And storytelling. Um, I've always been of the belief that storytelling is a vital process, a vital need in human society, human communities. When you study history and you take a look at the way that these communities were formed and the way that they functioned, our ancestors were sitting around campfires from the very beginning telling stories, Right telling stories. And what they would do is they would take these common, uh, what do you want to call them? Common characters, common stories, common myths that belong to those civilizations. And they were using those to tell their own stories. And we know, psychologically speaking, that human beings learn best through the mode of storytelling. This is how we understand who we are, who we, we came from, uh, where we're going. And the, the literature and storytelling helps us understand ourselves, right? Um, and so when I look at fan fiction, <laughs> I feel like in so many ways, fan fiction is the modern equivalent to that. We are still taking elements of these common myths and stories that belong to our modern culture. Um, they're they're pop culture now, right? <laughs> but they they're still the stories that bind our communities together, and we're still taking elements of those and sitting around this virtual campfire and telling each other stories. And um, I think there's something very beautiful about that because what I have learned is that um, in the process of storytelling and in the process of reading the story that's being produced, both of those things are what help us explore ourselves as human beings. So people can look at a piece of fan fiction and say, this is a story about Kirk and Spock. Okay, on its surface, it's a story about Kirk and Spock. But what this story really is about is loneliness or grief or the experience of aging and getting old. Or who are you once you no longer have the things in your life that define you? Those are the things that these stories are about. Fan fiction is just the genre of getting the point across. And so fan fiction being a part of that great big thing we call literature and storytelling, I feel like it's an absolutely vital thing. People are exploring themselves and the worlds around them with this process. As you speak, I'm I'm growing. I'm I was I was mellow on this, and I'm growing in fury, not actual fury, <laughs> at copyright law, which I find again characters are characters are invented by someone, and they catch on, and they last a long time. And large corporations, or large companies, or stakeholders, or, or business people, we can make money off this thing that has moved from. Single P, it's a myth. I mean, Captain America and Superman are myths. Wonder yes. Woman is a myth now. Yes. She is deployed everywhere. They are deployed everywhere. They are symbols for, we use them as symbols the way we use, again, Hercules and Athena. But the fact that people own Hercules and Athena in the short term, the fact that somebody owns Mickey Mouse, 
I, it just, it breaks. So this, this zone of fan fiction where people make the, the devil's bargain. Well, okay. I won't make any money at this, but I'm going to use your myth. So I'm now I'm completely sold on fan fiction as a fundamental need of the human condition. And I'm mad at people who are holding those myths and trying to be like, but this is, I own this myth. Like nobody owns myth, man. (laughs) Can I read you a very short quote? Please. It's my favorite quote. Um, back in 1997, Henry Jenkins who was, let me find it here. He was the director of media studies at MIT. And in 1997, he was interviewed by the New York Times. (laughs) And he said that fan fiction is a way of the culture repairing the damage done in a system where contemporary myths are owned by corporations instead of by the folk. And I have always held that sentiment so close to my heart because, yes, (laughs) when you look around at modern society, the myths that bind us together in our modern society are the ones that are being fed to us through this corporate pipeline. Right. Right. Like these are the stories that are available to us and we just kind of have to take it because that's all there is. Those are the distribution platforms that exist. Right. And so um, in many ways, fan fiction is the defiant response to that where we're just saying, no, like we own the stories. We own the stories. We own the myths and we're going to make them about us now. Right. We're going to represent us. And these are the people's stories. And there's something so punk about that and something so like (laughs) rebellious and transgressive about that that I love, (laughs) you know, Um, and I'll shout out from the rooftops that I feel like fan fiction is so essential um, for the dissemination of certain types of stories, because you do find um, through these corporate pipeline distributions that only very specific types of stories are being told, um, which is a huge problem. So at least when we get to control the stories through fan fiction, we get to decide what's represented. We get to decide what stories are important to us and which ones we want to tell. And nobody gets to stop us. And there are some, again, the companies become so, um, they make so much money off of these now mythological characters, characters (laughs) that just resonate in all layers of culture. They make so much money, they can't give that up. But it does really remind me of what happens with the church. Like at the beginning... A single creator or a group of creators come up with an idea or have a mystical experience. And over time, that mystical experience very soon turns into an organization with its own needs and its own collecting people and its own self-justification. If Disney doesn't police Mickey Mouse, then what will happen to this darling image? Well, Mickey Mouse is going to be turned into porn. Mickey Mouse is going to be turned into violence. That's all. And that. That is going to happen, but I don't know. Eventually, you don't control Hercules. So if somebody wants to write a story you don't like about Hercules, then you can't do anything about that. Hercules is just a character made up by one person who's long gone now. Yeah, it begs the question, at what point does the mythological character pass from IP into legend and legend belongs to everybody? So that's always the question, right? That's always the question. Um, But we are lucky in the sense that in the fan fiction community, we are protected by fair use law. Um, So uh, for a long time, (laughs) the predominant belief was that what we were doing was illegal. We know now that that's not true. 
Um, the OTW, Organization for Transformative Works, does a lot of legal advocacy, and they remind people all the time. And you talk we, about that generational trauma of fan fiction. Yes. You're like, I yes. respect the elders because they had to live through this period when the companies decided nobody can write about this. Exactly. They were there and they experienced it. They were the ones receiving cease and desist letters in their right. mailbox from attorneys out in California. You know, trauma, right? Um, yeah. But but yeah, you know, the OTW has done tremendous work um, doing the legal advocacy on our behalf. So now we don't have to go around saying this is illegal what we're doing. No, it's not. It's not. We're we are protected under the fair use uh, fair use clause for copyright law. So um, nobody can stop us at this point (laughs) as long as we're not making money. (laughs) Okay, so I want to raise as a as a single as a consumer and enjoyer of art and literature, I will raise a devil's advocate position about fan fiction, which is that there's too much of it. And because everybody can produce fan fiction, it's a bit like blogs on the internet or music on a streaming service. Anyone can sit down and make music and then they can put it out there for people to listen to. The quality, some people argue, is below what is curated by the market. So the market produces stuff and it fights back and forth. We have to make it popular and we have to make sure people like it. We have to make sure it's good. But we have also seen plenty of expensive things that are millions of dollars are spent on them that we can all agree are garbage. So an argument against fan fiction is it's low quality. How would I sift through that? There's too much of it. When people come to you and they say, well, I'm kind of curious about that, but a lot of it has to be crap, right? Like, how do you guide people as a lover of literature and fan fiction? How do you guide people into a an experience where you'd be like, you're going to find fan fiction just as good as whatever you're going to pull off the trade paperback shelf at the at the bookstore? Yeah, yeah. No, and that's such a good question. And I could go on about this for a thousand years. So you're going to have to stop me at some okay, point. Okay, go ahead. Um, but, you know, when I think about this, the, the very first thing that popped into my head when you were talking about this was um, relating it back to podcasting. You and I are both podcasters. We've been in this space for a little while, right? We know um, that podcasting is sort podcast of the same. There's a lot of bad podcasts because... It is an egalitarian system at this point. Anybody can create a podcast. It's so democratic that if you have a microphone and the will to succeed, anybody can have a podcast, right? And so because of that, the the the, the entry barrier is so low. So you are going to have a lot of crap and you're going to see that in any situation where the barrier is low for entry and that's just going to happen right um and so what we say in our community is that we welcome the crap because all all you're doing is you're looking at somebody who is at a a specific certain level of writing skill right and we all start somewhere so it doesn't matter if it's a teenager who wrote that or if it's a 50 year old you know dude in san francisco that wrote that um you know we just look at it and say great somebody tried look what they did and i'm sure that that meant something to them and everything so like nobody here in the fan fiction community is sitting here trying to argue that there's not a ton of crap out there (laughs) because there is a ton of crap out there um but again you are just going to find that when you have so much of something being produced and it's so easy to produce. Now, that being said, <laughs> that being said, I don't only read fan fiction. I minored in English back in university. So uh, I am just a lover of literature of all types and genres. So I do pull things off of commercial shelves in commercial places and read commercially produced literature. Um I have to be very honest with you that to me, 
the process of trying to find a good piece of commercialized literature is very similar to finding a good piece of fan fiction because I would say that (laughs) the majority of things I have pulled off the shelves in the past 20 years I have been grossly disappointed by. No question. Grossly disappointed by. Not to say that I didn't find some beautiful things. Absolutely, I found some beautiful things out there that I just loved. But I don't... I laugh when I hear the argument from people of, oh, well, if, you know, fan fiction's crap because it's not, it doesn't go through the pipeline or whatever. And I just say, have you, have you seen what's right, happening? Have you seen have what you, comes out of the pipeline? Pulled, go to any bookstore? Yeah, yeah. Books I have paid for, I've been grossly disappointed by. Um, n- now, now, that being said, um, some of the most beautiful writing I have ever encountered in my entire life has been fan fiction just because that particular writer decided that they didn't want to go the commercial route, which a lot of writers don't. They know they're talented. They know they're good and they just don't want to. And that's fine, right? Like it is very tough to get published and it's tough to be in that business and in that industry. And a lot of people just decide they don't want to. Um, So you are going to find people who are tremendously talented in this space who just want to do it for free the way they've been doing it for years and years and years. You're also going to find people in this space that write commercially for a living and they still come back to the fan fiction spaces and they still produce fan fiction for free because they love it so much. Um, So there's a whole mix of stuff in there. And what I would just tell people is if you want to sit here and say that you've never read an amazing, tremendously executed, beautifully written fan fiction, like, you know, tell me you've never read a fan fiction without telling me you've never read a fan fiction because (laughs) it's out there and I encounter it all the time. And I'm not the only one saying that. No, that's perfect. Here is the proactive advice I want then. Somebody, they're not super in, because the easy stepping stone, the easy way in is you are really obsessed by a particular IP or a character or something, and there's a ton of people writing stuff out there in that space. You go on the internet right now, easy to find. Somebody doesn't have an IP they're obsessed about, so they first, they're not into that show or that movie and they're like, you know what? I want to experiment with fan fiction, <laughs> yeah. and, but they don't have a fandom. Is there like a gateway? Like these three things are particularly good or I don't, what do they do? Yeah. You know what? If, if that was the case, if you had no fandom, nothing you were obsessed with at all, right. I would probably hang out on the fan fiction Reddit page. I know that sounds so weird, but there is a fan fiction page on Reddit and there are people there who are constantly talking about what's the best fan fiction that you've ever read, right? So you can go through these and kind of just take a look at what other people are saying. You know, oh my gosh, this is so good. I feel like if you had no fandom of your own, rec lists from other people would be tremendously helpful because they can point you to the ones that are so good you think you pulled it off a shelf at Barnes and Noble, you know? Um, and a lot of us do go into fan fiction fandom blind. That's the term for it when you don't know the fandom behind the story. It's called reading fandom blind. And I do it all the time. And uh, it can be tremendously fun, but you would probably want to stick with rec lists if you don't already have a fandom that you're obsessed with because there's so much out there that's just tremendously wonderful. 
is there a way in which, so again, when people, people who don't read a lot, they go into any bookstore and they're immediately overwhelmed. People who read all the time and go into bookstores, bookstores, they do exactly what you described where, you know, you know, there's going to be a bunch of chaff that you don't like. It's perfectly good stuff, but it won't resonate with you. So you have to spend a lot of time going to bookstores and standing in front of shelves, pulling books off and trying them. Right. Yeah. I love that. I re- Do you feel like there's a particular percentage of your time you have to devote to reading fandom blind just to keep into fan fiction or do the normal mixes of the things you love already, does that keep you tapped in enough? Or do you have to keep tapping into new stuff? <laughs> well, I describe myself as a fandom nomad. I don't have one particular <laughs> fandom. I'm nice. the weird wizard that like travels around and I just go where I go. So I have a wide plethora of different fandoms that I like reading. And so it's never been a problem for me personally. That being said, um, the primary spot that people read fan fiction is a website called Archive of our own.org. And um, this website has won awards for the way that it tags its data, right? It's an archive for posting up fan fiction. And they use a very comprehensive tagging system. The writers that upload their stories tag you know, lots of different tags on these stories. So if you want something very specific, maybe you do want a story about grief. Maybe you do want a story about loss or romance or, you know, whatever it is, whatever the topic is, you can just go to this website, plug in some some tags and then just see what comes up. You could do it that way. You know, Um, it's funny because people who use AO3, Mm-hmm. on a regular basis complain that when they go to the bookstore now there's no tagging system and we don't know what to pull off the shelf because the website AO3 makes it so easy for us to filter the data by what we're looking for specifically so okay you said this year you have a goal of you're going to share fan fiction of your own with the yeah. community and that is awesome but i have to say after this long conversation Um, I'm going to be really disappointed if in the last 10 years you do not either write a video series, create a documentary, have a a series of podcasts devoted to the history of fan fiction, or you you need to write a book about fan fiction. I... I (laughs) Oh, Are absolutely. You? I do. Absolutely. I do. So, Brendan, so I do podcast, right, about yes. fan fiction on a regular basis, which has been the biggest privilege of my entire life. I love it so much. And I have done some episodes just on the history because yeah, I'm a history nerd. I love it. So that's always been really cool. And I do have a documentary percolating in the back of my brain. So um, that will be an interesting project to try to tackle, but I feel like it needs to happen. <laughs> so I do have uh, some ideas and some things that I think will, will be happening here in the next okay. couple of years. So 